Turn with me to Romans chapter 4. We've been looking at the elements of faith. We've been talking for a number of months about what faith is, what faith isn't, why faith is important, how you get faith, how faith drains out. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking at really some basic elements of faith. And uh, we took a break last week because it was the night before Thanksgiving, and we'd had a wonderful time of sharing testimonies, and it was very encouraging and just to see how God's delivering power. Because you don't realize, because really all you see mostly on a Sunday is people that say hello to you, or on a Wednesday, and people that you say hello to. You come, you settle down in your blue chair. Whoever's up here preaches, you hear the Word of God. We say goodbye to people and go home. And we don't know what God's doing. But while you're sitting here, while the Word of God is being preached, the Spirit of God is working in people's lives, working in people's lives, and never, ever underestimate what He's doing. And He's doing dramatic and spectacular things. So first of all, that means you need to come expecting. You need to come expecting. Every time I come to church, I expect God to speak to me. I expect God to speak to me. And He will if you're expecting Him, if you're listening for it. Many, a number of times in the Bible, it starts in Isaiah. The Bible says this words, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear. That means it's possible for words to be spoken and we don't really hear them. They go in our ear, but they don't go in our heart. So make sure your heart's open tonight to hear what the Spirit of God has to say to you. Well, we've been talking about elements of faith. They're listed here. They're, they're laid out here in Romans 4 because what we often run into is we, we may have some idea of faith and some principles of faith. Most of the time, I, I think that our attitude is faith is kind of an emotion. We've got to work ourselves up to faith. I don't feel like I'm in faith. Faith has nothing to do with your feelings. In fact, we're going to see tonight, it's the opposite of your feelings. It may actually coincide with your feelings, but that's just a coincidence. Most of the time, what you feel will be the opposite of what your faith is and what God's Word says. And so we began to look a number of weeks ago at, at, in Romans chapter 4 because it breaks down the basic elements of faith. Now, I give you this caution each time we talk about this because it's so easy to slip into a pattern that was very prevalent in the back in the 80s and the early 90s when the, the so-called faith movement was, was... Faith has always been around, and there are different waves in the body of Christ. But in the late 80s, for those of you who weren't around in the church in those days, there was a real move of the, what's called the Word of Faith movement. And it's basically what it is we're teaching here, and it's much of the foundation of what this church is based on. But one of the things that came out of that is you'd have different teachers talking about the... In fact, I've got a tape series in my, in my study in there, The Seven Steps of Faith. And the problem is we take that as a formula. So we go, if I do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, then God's going to give me what I want. So it becomes an act of performance. I do, my, I do what I'm supposed to do, and God does what He's supposed to do. But faith doesn't work that way. You cannot manipulate God. You cannot force... He's, he's God. And, and, and you can't shift into this mode where I'm... You know, God's a sugar daddy, and if I do all the right things, He's just going to pour all this stuff out on me. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. First of all, everything with God comes out of a relationship. Everything with God comes out of a relationship. I was sharing with somebody today that was talking about someone that was frustrated because, because you know, they don't see, they don't, they, they, they've been reading the Bible and they don't see it working in their lives. And I said, it's not something that you work. You don't go through and find these principles and you do these principles and then because you did them, God's going to reward you. That's like a job. Romans chapter 4, the beginning of it says, faith is not, does not operate by works. It says, because if, you, if you've earned something from God, then you're entitled to it, and, and God doesn't give it to you by His grace. 
But on the other hand, what we receive from God, we receive simply by believing what God has given to us. But, but what does that mean to believe? How do I know that I'm doing it? And so what we've been studying is there's, there's some basic ingredients that are kind of like a checklist. And I was sharing this, I've shared this a number of times, you know, that, that uh, pilots use a checklist. Well, Link Mossop, who was a former uh, uh, pilot in the Navy, gave me an article on, on how they use checklists. He says, actually what they do is they've got it screwed into the, into the steering column so that when they grab the steering column, whatever it is they call it in a plane, they're looking at the checklist. It's right in front of, they could have been a pilot for 20 years flying that same plane and they're going to go through the checklist. Why? Because they want to make sure they've covered everything. That's all. And that's what we're going through here. And so we've already looked. Let's read through these verses. They start in Romans 4, verse 17. And Paul's writing these because he's talking about Abraham's faith as an example of what faith is like so that our relationship with God is based on faith and not our own works. And that's the problem with going through some formula with God is it's really relying on your works and not on faith in what God has done. Very subtle difference. You can, be, you can be moving along in faith and just slowly slip over into works because our flesh is so oriented that way. It wants to somehow have some degree of control or get some degree of credit. And the beginning of Romans chapter 4 makes sure, makes clear, we cannot get, get no credit. It's all by God's grace. And so we're going to read through these because Paul's now talking about Abraham's faith and he's going through these different elements in it. Just as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did exist, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb, not, not her room, her womb. Yet he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened, grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded or convinced that what he had pro- got, what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore, because of the way Abraham did this, it was accounted to him for or in the place of righteousness. Now it was written not for his sake alone. But it, that it was imputed to him, but also for us that it should be imputed to us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. If you put that first slide up, we're using a little PowerPoint here to, so, that, so that I can go through the list of these items and just put them all up on the first slide. So the first thing we've looked for is you've got to be able to go back and locate the promise that God has made. Find the promise in God's word then you know that you are on a firm foundation. And it's really simple. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we've talked about this before. It's because faith is simply taking God at His Word. It's really that simple. That means you've got to be able to identify what Word it is you're taking Him. So if you come to me and you say, well, I'm really struggling with this. I say, well, are you in faith? Yes. What promise is your faith? Well, I'm just trusting God. That's not faith. Faith is God's made this promise to me. See, Abraham was able to go back, and it says in verse 17, as it is written, and we went back and actually looked at that promise, a father of many nations have I made you. So Abraham's confidence, his faith, was in a specific word that God had given to him, that in spite of his age, in spite of Sarah's age and the condition of her womb, God said, 
I have, this is the promise I've made to you. I have made you a father of many nations. Now, having heard that promise, Abraham has a, has a choice to make. And we're going to talk about that. The second thing you need to look at is you've got to know who made the promise to you. Not say, so, oh, I know it's God. No, no, what is it I know about him? And this is where a lot of people miss it because without consciously doing this, we've somehow reduced God down to a superhuman being. We think he's a very good human being, but he's basically dealing with the same limitations that you and I are. And, and we, we, if you just listen to how you talk to him, you know, many times our prayer is basically trying to con God, tell him why he ought to do something. It really is. I mean, just get honest with ourselves. You know, we tell God all these reasons, you know, oh God, please save Aunt Susie. She'd make a great Christian. But see, that's how we think. But that's not how God, God, Jesus didn't die for Aunt Susie because she'd make a great Christian. He died for her because he already loves her. So you don't have to convince God why he wants to save her. He's already proven that he wants to save her. But we're trying to give God some reason to do something he already wants to do. What he needs you to do is believe that that's what he wants to do. So you've got to know the one who made the promise. Know that there's nothing impossible, there's nothing even hard for this God. I shared with you the story. I was in a, in a, in a healing service. This is when we lived out in Oklahoma. And dramatic miracles were taking place. But they were, you know, a young boy's broken foot was healed. That was dramatic. Backs were being healed. And everybody's kind of laughing because the atmosphere in the service was, was very light. The Spirit of God was just doing unusual things with people and there was just a spirit of joy in the place and the next person up in line was, came up for the, to be healed of leukemia and you, the whole atmosphere changed. It's like you could hear everybody go into emergency tongues. You know what that is? You know, they go, like they're going to try to work something up. And it's amazing how hard it is to break this habit of our flesh that there's something I can do other than just believe God, take him at his word. And so the whole, and the, and the, and the minister stopped because he could sense what was going on. He says, the reason you're doing that is you think leukemia is harder for God to heal than a broken foot. Then you don't really know what this God's like because there's nothing hard for him. Leukemia is no more difficult for God than a headache. But for a human it would be and so we think of him in human terms. So you've got to go back and renew your mind to who this God is that's made this promise to you because that makes all the difference in the world of whether you believe it's going to get carried out or not. And we're going to see that answer in here, how Abraham did that. Then the third thing is you've got to choose to believe it before you see it. In hope against hope, he believed in order that he might become. The, the order there is that he believed so that he could become what God had promised. You have to believe first before you receive. Mark eleven twenty four 24 says the same thing. So whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you already have received it. So you, you, you before and then you shall have it. So the shall have follows the believe I've received. Because if I only believe what I have, there's no faith required. I don't need faith to believe I've got a black suit and black shoes. Because I can see them and you can see them. So I don't need faith for that because I can see it. 
What I need faith for, we learned early on, is faith is simply believing what God's promise is true, even though I don't see it with my senses yet. And the next thing we saw about this is it's a choice. Faith is an act of your will. It's not an emotion. So many things that we think are hard with God are because we think they're an emotion and we've got to either work it up or the wind has to blow just right so I feel that way. We've talked about that on Sunday morning. Love is not an emotion. It's an act of your will. Therefore, it is either an act of obedience or disobedience because we've been commanded to love one another. God would not be fair to command us to do something that we could not do under every occasion. So therefore, it must be up to us whether we do it or not, not which way the wind happens to be blowing or whether the sun's out or not or whether the headlines today say the Red Sox won or not. It's amazing how people's emotions go up and down based on what's going on around them. That's okay for the world to do that, but we're the church. Our stability, our foundation is not based on CNN and Fox News and, you know, the stock market or the last person to smile at you or frown at you. It's based on this word. It's based on this word. So you've got to choose to believe it before you see it. Now go to the next slide. And this is where we were last time. Don't let contrary messages speak what you believe. Actually, act on what you believe. And this is so important. We looked back in James chapter 1 where it says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. We looked in James chapter 2 which basically says that Abraham's faith was sealed or perfected when he went up on that mountain and offered up Isaac in obedience to what God commanded him. We saw that it's when you act on what you believe that you take something that's potential inside of you and you make it a reality. Because when you act on it, you are demonstrating what you believe. And that's why James can be confusing to people, especially like Martin Luther, who believed it shouldn't even have been in there, because he believed that we were saved by faith and faith alone, which is right. But James talks about what we're saved by our works. What James means by that is our actions prove what we believe. And when you act on it, when you act on it, you're not going to make God do something. But when you act on it, you take what you believe and it's as if it hatches inside of you. It's as if it just it goes off. You release the power of it when you act on it. It's not some strange thing. It's just when you sat in that chair tonight, you released your faith that that chair would hold you. You just didn't think about it because you're so used to doing it. And so you have to act on what you believe. I'll give you this example, and I may have used this before at some point. But suppose, for instance, we have somebody, and it it didn't originate with me. I think I heard this from Fred Price. Suppose we're sitting here tonight, and somebody comes stumbling down here while I'm preaching and just passes out down here. And we roll him over, and he's just, he's out. And I ask, I thought I saw Dr. Roshi here somewhere. I ask him to come down and, and, and check him out, and he says, this man is in the final stages of starvation. If he doesn't get some food inside of him in the next 15, 20 minutes, most likely he's going to die. And so we said, well, we sure can't let that happen at Faith Christian Center. So we bring a chair over, you know, and everybody's over there praying, you know, in tongues and praying for this guy, and that's good. We sit him in the chair, but we can pray all we want. (laughs) We can pray all we want, but in 20 minutes, he's going to be dead because something has to happen. 
So we figure we can't do that. So somebody rushes over here in the kitchen and we find something and bring it over and, and we bring a little tray table and set it in front of him. And, and I come down and I say, sir, I'm going to ask you this question. Do you believe that if you eat this food, it will keep you from dying? And he lifts his head slowly and opens his mouth and his weak voice comes out and says, yes, I, I, I believe that if I eat that food, it will keep me from dying. Okay, I should, do you really believe that if you eat that food, it will keep you from dying? His voice is a little stronger now because he's a little bit irritated. And he says, yeah, yes, I, I believe that if I eat that food, it will keep me from dying. I says, do you really believe, really, in the depths of your heart, with all of your emotion, believe that you eat that food, it will keep you from dying? Now he's getting irritated at me. He says, I believe that if I eat that food, it will keep me from dying. And this follows over. The doctor comes up again, rolls him over and says, this man's dead. Now let me ask you a question. Did he die believing that that food would keep him from, di- from dying, would keep him alive? He died believing correctly. Why did he die? He didn't eat the food. The end of Matthew chapter 14. Three little verses in there. It says they believed. They came to Jesus. And they believed that if they touched the hem of his garment, that they would be whole. And so they gathered a group around him. And the last verse says, And out of that group, as many as touched his garment were made whole. That tells us there were people there that believed that Jesus would heal them. They believed correctly. And they went away sick. Why? Because they did not act on what they believed. So you must act on it. Not to earn something, but it's what engages your faith. It takes it from being something potential inside of you and it releases it. And now there's a connection. That's kind of like going through my whole life madly in love with this beautiful woman for 43 years and I've just always sat somewhere else in church and just looked at her and said, oh, I love her. Oh, what I love to get to know her. Oh, what I love to be married. And never came up to her and said anything. Afterwards, you know, you just sort of meditate on this thing. Boy. You begin to get bitter. How come she doesn't come to me? How come this? How come this? Start sitting further and further back when all I had to do was go act on it. Act on it. Now, how can we do that? One of the ways we've looked at it is simply speaking what God says about something. Not what you, speaking what God says about something. People get hung up on it. Well, I don't want to say if it's not true. Does that, God lied? I'm not talking about saying something that's not in this word. Just take a scripture. For instance, it says in two places, Jesus bore my sicknesses and carried my diseases, and by his stripes I've been healed. Matthew 8, 17 makes clear that that applies to sickness and diseases and makes clear that in in the atonement on the cross, Our sicknesses and our diseases were paid for as much as our sins. You can disagree with that all you want, but it's what the Word of God says. 
Therefore, I am entitled to say, Jesus bore my sicknesses and carried my diseases, even if God got a wart, a, a thing sticking out here. Because I'm not, see, what we, mistake we make is we try to deny the symptoms. Well, I don't have, I don't have a growth on my face. That's lying. Earl Lafayette Scales saying one time, talking about this, he says, I was walking down the hallway of my church, and there was some guy walking down, and I don't want to get into the details because I don't want to gross you out, but let's put it this way. He had visible evidence that he had a cold in his nose. And so Lafayette, the pastor, went up to him and says, you know, brother, you need to clean yourself up a bit. He says, why? He says, you know, you, you must have a cold. He says, I don't, I don't have a cold. So he grabbed him by a lapel and took him into the men's room and put his face in front of the mirror. He says, well, what's that? (laughs) We get so spiritually up in la-la land. And what that does, first of all, is people laugh at you. It, it makes a mockery of God, and they just, you know, they just, you know, oh, forget them. What it does is it discredits your testimony. So if you're walking around with some obvious condition, and somebody says to you, you know, well, what is that? I don't have anything. What do you mean, what is that? I don't have anything. Now, are they, why are they going to believe you when you talk about who Jesus is? That's that nut by the water cooler. Well, then what do we do? We don't deny what's there. We declare what God says about it. And that, in fact, one of the words for praise in the New Testament is a Greek word, homologia. When it says in, in, in Hebrews, to make a sacrifice of praise, that word is homologia, which literally means say the same thing. So when we're praising God, we're saying this, we're agreeing with God. What better grounds can you be on? So one of the ways to release your faith and act on it is to start speaking what God says about it, whether you see it or not. It's what God did. God didn't say, I see many sons of yours. He said, as for me, I have made you a father of many nations. When Joshua was camped outside of Jericho and he went out to pray, he went out and there was an angel standing there just flaming all over, and he's just standing over there. He says, take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. And Joshua goes down to his face. He tells him to stand up. And he says to Joshua, see, pointing to Jericho, which, by the way, was a walled city. The walls around that city were so thick that archaeologists tell us they used to run chariot races on the top of the walls, six chariots wide. That's how thick the wall was. And and they're camping out there trying to figure out how they're going to get into the city. And an angel stands there and says to Joshua, See, I have given you the city. Now, is that a lie? Because the city's still standing there. But God, through this angel, is declaring what he is going to do as if it were already done because in God's mind, it's already done. In God's mind, whatever is in this word, unless there's a specific time attached to it, is done in God's mind. 
That's why when he spoke this promise to Abraham, if you read earlier, he said, I will make you. But when he came to issuing the promise, he said at that point, I have made you a father of many nations. In other words, as far as I'm concerned, it's done. Now it's up to you, Abraham, when and whether it comes about. And the point is when you agree with me. And so all we're doing is we're agreeing with God. We're agreeing with God what God says about it. But to do that means you start saying things that sometimes your mind will balk at. Because we'd rather say it afterwards because that way our our reputation is preserved. See, when you say something before you can be seen, now it's out there, isn't it? Now it's out there. That's why it's acting on what you believe. It's like going to sit down in the chair is acting on what, whether you believe that chair is going to hold you. Handing that 1075 to the first window at McDonald's drive-in is an act of faith. We've talked about that before because you don't see your two Big Macs, French fries, you know, and apple pie and large Coke or whatever you ordered for 1075. You don't see it, but you've given them the money. Why? Because you believe at window two is your Big Mac, French fries, and large Coke, or whatever it is. And the proof that you believe it is you gave them the money first. They could go into bankruptcy before window one and window two. (laughs) You laugh. I handle the case when I practice law. I don't want to go off on this of where people closed with a mortgage company in the morning. The papers were sent out to be recorded first thing the next morning, and in the afternoon, the mortgage company filed bankruptcy. That's more at stake than your 1075 losing your Big Macs and your French fries and your, big, and your large Coke. So when you speak it, you've now declared to other people what you believe. So now it's no longer just inside of you. So if it, do, see, if it doesn't happen and you don't say anything, nobody knows. And so, you know, we have this, this, this uh, 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 illusion that we go through that we're trying to protect God. He do, uh, let me let you in a secret. He doesn't need your protection. In fact, he doesn't want it. It got even trouble. Don't try to protect God. He'll be here. He was here before you were here. He'll be here after you're here. His reputation has always been intact. Who's he trying to be, look good to anyway? No, it's not his reputation we're trying to protect. It's mine. I don't want to look foolish. So what I do is I believe inside, but I don't say anything outside. Because the moment I say something, now what I believe is on the line. God can handle that. Now, on the other hand, you've got to use wisdom. Because if you start going around telling everybody, especially people that aren't believers and they don't know, then what's going to happen is they're going to start putting pressure back on you. So what you want to tell is people that you know will agree with you. Especially depending on what it is. I've had people come to me with a a diagnosis of something serious, and my first advice to them is don't tell everybody. Because if you tell everybody, everybody's going to come up every day and let me see and say, how are you doing? How does it feel? How does it feel? Now what are you going to say? What are you going to say? So only tell people that you know or at least at your level of faith or higher. 
and that will agree with you. And you don't need many because Jesus said, if two or more of you agree on earth as touching anything. And that's fine to get people to pray for you, but, but make sure there are people that will believe along with you and won't call you up three times a day and ask you, how do you feel? How do you feel? Because how I feel is irrelevant to what God said. So one way you can act on it in an important way is by making your declaration of faith. Let me show you a couple of scriptures that kind of back this up. Let's go look at... Um, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm probably going to teach a little bit on this at the beginning of the year at some point. Not right away, but early on. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. The word therefore means as a consequence of what I believe, I speak. And you do that all the time. If I were to spend much time with you, I could very quickly locate what you believe. Not by what you say when you walk in the door on Sunday morning, oh, I'm blessed. But it's what you say when you go home. It's what you say when you go out in the parking lot and you discover you got a flat tire. It's what you say when things don't go right. That's what comes out of your mouth is what you believe. Because the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So here's where confession is important. First of all, it locates where you are. But another power of confession is confession can change what you believe. So one of the purposes of what you say of your confession is to release your faith about a promise that God's made. But another purpose of it is to change what you believe. Because every time you say something, guess who hears you? You do. Now, I know the devil hears you and God, but the, you hear yourself. So you can take something that you don't believe and keep saying it to yourself and saying it to yourself and saying it to yourself and eventually you'll begin to change what you believe. It's called meditation. The word meditate literally means to mutter to yourself. Talk to yourself. And people do it all the time. It's just they don't do it with God's Word. This fool thing never works. It's never worked in my life. It's never, never worked. I've always gives me trouble whenever I'm late for work. This stupid car won't start. That's meditating. That's making a confession over your car. And guess what? It's working. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I believe, therefore, I speak. Your words come out of your mouth are far more powerful than you've begun to realize. We've been made in God's image. And how did God create the world? He spoke, He used words and spoke it into existence. And God has ordained you and me on this earth 
as his representatives, as his body, to exercise his authority on this earth. And we are called to exercise his authority through the same means that he did with his words. Look at the situations that Jesus faced in the Gospels and see how many times when somebody came to him with a problem or an issue, how many times he went and prayed for them. You won't find many. You won't find many where he laid hands on them and said, Father, please heal this person. You won't find very many. The only one that comes to mind, there may be more, but the only one that comes to mind immediately is in John chapter 11 when he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. And actually, if you read it carefully, what he says is, Father, I'm talking to you out loud so they know when this happens, you did it and I didn't do it. But then when it comes time, he doesn't pray to God, please raise Lazarus from the dead. What does he do? He spoke to the dead body. He spoke to the fig tree. He spoke to blind eyes. Now, there were times he did other things and had them do other things. He spoke to situations. He told them in Matthew 11, Mark 11, 24, 23, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, well, mountain represents whatever the challenge is in your life. Whosoever shall say, your words, especially when they agree with God, release the power of God into that situation. So I just want to challenge you to think back over words you've said in the last 24 hours. You may discover if you begin to listen to yourself why you're facing some of the things you're facing. Things never go right for me. Things never go right for me. I know if anybody gets laid off, it's going to be me. You're releasing power into the spirit realm and your words are authorizing spirit beings to act. I believe, therefore I speak. Let's go to Romans chapter 10. Let's look at how you got saved. Now, does that mean that every little thing I've slipped out of my mouth is going to happen? No, it's got to be in your heart, but the more it slips out of your mouth, the more you're sowing it into your heart. Because remember, you hear every word you speak. And you have more credibility with you than anybody else. Romans chapter 10. Let's start in... um, Well, let's start back in verse 5. Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, which is the way of salvation that doesn't work. Man who does those things shall live by them, the the law. If you're going to live by the law, then you've got to do what the law says. Verse 6, but the righteousness which comes by faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. In other words, don't say in your heart, how do I get saved? How do I get close to Christ? Don't say that in your heart. But what does it say? The word, word of salvation, is near you. Where is it? It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. Now, how does this work? Verse 9, but if you confess with your mouth, in other words, the words in your mouth, if you release the words out of your mouth, 
If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus or His Lordship and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made or released unto salvation. So you are saved by believing in your heart and speaking with your mouth. Over and over again, when someone came to Jesus for something, for healing, he would say, do you believe that I'm able to do this? He would ask them questions. What is it you want from me? When there was one guy came with leprosy. What is it you want from me? Duh. No, he needed them to say with their mouth, to release with their mouth what they believed. Do you believe I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord. They release their faith with their mouth. Your mouth, the words of your mouth are so important. And again, Mark eleven twenty three 23 says, Whatsoever thing, whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Notice whosoever. 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 That means it's up to you. It means it's available to everybody, but only whosoever speaks to the mountain. Whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be thou taken up and cast into the sea. Now there's more to it we're going to talk about in a few minutes. But the key is you've got to act on that word. If you don't act on it somehow, it's dormant inside you and it will not do you any... It's like a seed that you have, a, a, a seed for, I don't know, whatever it is you want to grow. Suppose you want to grow tomatoes. And you look at this picture on the, on, in, in the... In the in the store, and you see these beautiful succulent tomatoes that you want to grow, and you buy the, the, the packet of seeds, and you go and you put them up on the shelf in your garage, and you just come out every day and look at those. Wow. Look at those beautiful tomatoes I can have. Look at the beautiful tomatoes that I could have. I sure would love to have these tomatoes. You, you're believing right, but you're not going to have those tomatoes until so you take the seed and you release the seed and plant it in the ground. And the same way you have to release your faith, and you do that by acting on it. One way is to speak what the Word says. Another is to act as if the promise was yours now. Now, how do I do that? It depends on the circumstances. And again, you've got to be careful. You can act like a fool in front of other people's eyes. See, I'll walk around talking, saying things to myself that other people may not hear, but I, I hear what I'm saying to myself. I'm talking to myself, trying to build my faith up, speaking what I agree about something. I don't have to broadcast to everybody, but I'll just talk to myself. I remember when, when uh, well, I won't go in there. I don't have time to go into that. So, okay. So, the next thing is you can act as if the promise is yours now. And I think I touched on that a little bit last time. I talked about the time I came in this back door and slipped because it was wet and came down on my foot and bent it the wrong way. And what I did, what I did later on the day once I went home is I, because I, we had a, we had, there was a function I had to go to that night. As I decided, all right, I, did, I, see, I, had to, I didn't wait to feel healed. I decided I'd take God's word and choose to believe it as an act of my will. And then I began to speak it. My ankle is well. My ankle is whole. It was throbbing. But I was saying, my ankle is well, my ankle is well. I wasn't denying the throbbing. I was agreeing with what God said about it. Well, then it came time to get ready. And I got to decide, what am I going to do now? So I decided, all right, if my ankle's well, what is a well, what does a person with a well ankle do? They put their shoes on and they put their socks on. 
And so I put my shoes on and put my socks on and began to walk on it. And as I began to walk on it, the pain began to go away. And by the time I walked into that building with a function, there was no pain and no swelling, and it never came back. Because that's another way of acting on it. See, you don't, I wouldn't do that if I believed I still was, it, it was still hurt. Okay, now. All right. So you have got to act on the promise. Act as if it's yours now. And the way to do that, if this were true, what would I do differently? How would I act if this really, if this, <laughs> how would I act if God really told me the truth about this? Just put it in those terms. If God's really told me the truth about this, what would I do? How would I act? You're not earning something. By acting on it, you're sealing your faith. You're, you're releasing your faith. What would I do? What does a sick person do? Now, caution here. I'll tell you a story. Because you've got to be sure you've gone through the others. When I first heard this 30-some years ago, I was listening to a tape back then, I weren't CDs, of someone talking about healing. And at that point, I had a condition. It came, didn't come off, and when it came, I, my body would suddenly start breaking out in hives. I don't mean little things. I mean huge things. It might start on the bottom of my foot, and it would just come, and within five minutes, I couldn't walk on the bottom of my foot. And I'd gone to the doctor. He gave me pills, and if I took the pills, they were so strong, they would essentially knock me out. Well, I'm learning these principles, and I'm at work one day, and I get one of these things hitting me. So I said, all right, I'm going to do, and here's what I said. I'm going to do what Brother So-and-so did. Now listen carefully because you learned something. I'm going to, what they did is they acted on what they said. They didn't take medicine and God healed them. So I was convinced I was in faith. And I was to a degree. When I said, all right, therefore, I'm going to get healed the same way. I'm not going to take these pills. And so I start walking around at lunchtime and this thing's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I don't care. I'm talking to him. I said, no, I don't have it. I don't have it. I don't have it. I'm in faith. I'm in faith. I'm in faith. And then what I did is I said, all right, I'm, I must not really be in faith. So I took my pills and I went into the restroom and I poured them down the toilet. And I said, now I must really be in faith. No, I was stupid. I poured them down the toilet and now they really got worse. I go home that night and my face is starting to swell up. You remember that? I got my face is starting, and I get in bed. Now my throat's starting to swell up. Now I'm getting scared. Forget faith. I want to live. I'm telling you this for a reason. I'll show good God is. I laid in bed, took all of my wife's hand. She's praying for me. And, and, and I'm saying, God, I'm too young to die. I just go, Help! In my mind at that point, these were little green pills. I could see a little pill stuck. I had to use a leather briefcase, a soft leather briefcase. I could see a picture in my mind of one of these pills stuck in a fold in the bottom of the briefcase. I go downstairs, I open the briefcase, and stuck in the fold of this briefcase was a pill that had fallen out. Because this was, this was Sunday night, or Saturday, Friday night, like 11 o'clock at night. They didn't have CVSs open in the middle of the night or any other, you know. The drugs, they were just drugstores and they were closed. I took this thing and it worked immediately. So now I said, God, what happened? I did what brother so-and-so did. 
And the Lord began to open my eyes. He said, what was your, go back to the first slide. Can you go back to the first slide? They didn't know I was going to do this, so. The first slide says, locate the promise God has made to you. See, my faith was not in God's promise. My faith was in Brother What's-His-Name and what he said. This is why you've got to take your Bible and your situation and go into your Bible and convince yourself from your Bible that's what it says. I'm here to inspire you, to instruct you, to help you to see and understand some things, but you've got to take your own Bible and get into your Bible and you've got to meditate on what your Bible says because then you've got that word directly from God and not from Pastor John or in my case, Brother Doodad. Because my faith was in what he did, not in God. Now, I was a young, inexperienced Christian, and God was gracious to me, and I learned a very important lesson to make sure before I do something like that, that I know my faith. Here's a simple way, because some people say, well, Pastor, I'm in faith. I don't know whether to go to the doctor or not. Real simple answer. If you've got to ask the question, go. Because when you know something so, you don't have to ask. You don't have to ask. When you know it's true, you don't need to go around asking. You just know in here. Your mind may give you fits, but you know in here, yeah, it's so. It's so. I don't need to ask. So if you need to ask, see, but you can use your faith where you are. God will meet you where you are. Because what we do sometimes is we try to be up here you know, we've been reading somebody's books or something like that or listening to this series. Well, I want to be up here because that's where they are. But your faith is down here. See, God will meet you where your faith is. If you want to act where their faith is, that's not where you are. So God can't meet you there because you're not there. He'll meet you where you are. So you've got to ask yourself, what is it I can believe that God will do in this situation? What is it I can believe that God will do in this situation? Uh, it was a, a, a teacher I knew that was, walked for years in divine health. And his wife fell into a situation. The doctor said she needed surgery. And he, they kept praying and believing that the, she wouldn't need the surgery, wouldn't need the surgery. Finally, she came to him and says, Honey, I'm sorry. She said, It's just not where I, she says, I, I'm not where you are in faith. He said, All right, I'll go to where you are. What is it you can believe? She said, well, I can believe that the surgery will be successful, that I'll have no pain, and I'll be out of there faster than they say. He said, then I will agree with that. Let's believe God for that. And guess what happened? She came through the surgery successful. She had no pain. The doctors were amazed that she didn't have pain medicine. And she was out of the hospital before. Isn't that much better? But she, she had to locate what promise she believed and what she believed about that. God will meet you where you are. And so it's so important. So you can go back to the other slide again. It's so important that you be able to know what you believe, that you be able to, and then begin to act on it. But don't act in foolishness or presumption. Presumption is when you tell God what he ought to do instead of believe what he says. So locate where you are. Locate where you are. Now, there are other factors involved. I mean, you, you know, there are things that will hinder your faith. For instance, strife. Strife is one of the biggest hinders. Strife is virtually fatal. There's a verse we read every month 
in communion in 1 Corinthians 11. And I don't know that I've ever heard anybody teach on it. I may just do that some Sunday. Goes through and talks about, you know, rightly discerning the body of Christ. It says, because many who haven't done that are ill, sick. And a number of them sleep, which means died. Why? Because they didn't rightly discern the body of Christ. Jesus, after, after Mark eleven twenty three and 24, famous faith scriptures, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you've received them and you, and you shall have them. What does the next verse say? And if you have anything against anybody, forgive them. Peter talks about husbands treating your wife's right so that your prayers may get answered. So there are hindrances. There, are, there can be reasons why our prayers are not getting answered. Strife is the major one. You cannot violate God's principle and expect Him to overlook that and just say, ah, so what? I didn't really mean that. Does that mean, you know, God, you know, again, you can't put God in a box. So there are other reasons, but we're not, that's not our purpose. Our purpose is kind of a checklist here. So those are the basic elements of faith. There's another one which we're not going to have time to get into tonight. We'll get into that next week.